My name is Chad Roberts, and I'm so glad you're joining us today on Awaken to Grace because we are in a great series going through the book of Psalms, and we're calling this series The Unhurried Life. How do we slow down, and how do we go at the pace of grace, God's rhythm for our life? Well, today we're going to be talking about unhurried abiding. What does it mean to really abide in communion and fellowship with Christ? How do we know if in all of our busyness, in all that we're doing in life, in all that we're doing even for the Lord, how do we know that we're really abiding as Christ invites us to do? You'll learn that today on this edition of Awaken to Grace. All right. Well, today we are in part two of our series called The Unhurried Life. Last week we talked about what unhurried rest meant. I hope that you enjoyed last week. If you didn't get a chance to hear or watch, please visit our app, Awaken to Grace, or online. Uh, Go back and listen to part one of what unhurried rest looks like. Now today... We're talking about unhurried abiding. Unhurried abiding. Last week, when we talked about unhurried rest, I want to be very clear in this. We did not mean sleep. Rest does not mean sleep. You can get a good eight hours of sleep and wake up exhausted. We taught, what we meant by unhurried rest is being in a state of rest inwardly, that no matter what was happening on the outside, you were at peace, you were at rest, you were calm on the inside. Today, when I talk about abiding, I don't mean um, simple meditation. I don't mean that you and I are to not be productive. I don't mean that we are to forsake responsibilities and just sit in the presence of Jesus all day long. When, when I say abiding, at least in my mind, I think meditating, and I'm not really, a, I, don't, I don't meditate in what most people think meditate. I don't sit crisscross applesauce. I know what that is because I have little girls. Uh, I don't sit crisscross applesauce and hum, I don't do that. When I say abiding today, I'm going to define it with the Bible, not what some other culture or religion or even our society says. We're going to define what abiding is with the Bible. And in defining abiding with the Bible, we're going to learn how to do it and do it really well, okay? So most of you who uh, listen to my preaching, you know that I don't like to skip all throughout the Bible. I prefer to take one section, one chapter, even one verse, and just break it down line upon line, word for word. At least in the first two sermons of this series, I'm kind of breaking that rule, and I'm going everywhere. Last week, we were in Psalm 46. We went over to Hebrews chapter 4, and we ended in Matthew chapter 11. Today's going to be a similar pattern. 
We're going to go Psalm 91 and then John 15, and we're going to end in Isaiah 27. But we are going somewhere today. Uh, so I want you to follow me. I want you to, uh, I'm going to tell you now where we're going and where we're going to end up so that you can see the path. We are going to begin in Psalm 91. We're going to see the incredible invitation of God for his people to abide, to continue in, to stay in God's presence, in God's shelter, in God's safety. And we're going to see out of Psalm 91 the incredible invitation for you and I to abide. But then we're going to go to John 15 and then we're going to see how Christ fulfills this. The Old Testament is a shadow. The Old Testament is a foreshadow of the reality of what Christ fulfilled. So whereas God invites us in Psalm 91, come and find shelter in me and rest in me, abide in me. We're going to see in John 15 how Christ provides that in our day-to-day life. And then we're going to end in Isaiah 27, and we're going to ask the question, can we abide continually in Christ? Is that possible? And the answer is yes. So let's begin. Psalm chapter 91, as most of you know, I'm unable to see in this season of my life. I'm blind, and I'm unable to read or uh, read a Bible or computer or anything. So all the scripture we share, I try to do from memory. So pray today, because it's, uh, it's going to be a lot of scripture by the time we're done, and Pray that the Lord will help me remember everything. And if I miss something, if I miss a line or a word, you just shake your head and say, it's okay. He can't see. All right. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna begin Psalm 91. Look, at me, look with me in verse number 1. Psalm 91, verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now, all of the Psalms are precious, all of the Psalms are wonderful, they matter, but there are some Psalms that just seem to stay in our hearts. Uh, obviously, the most Uh, well-known, the most beloved, the most memorized, the most quoted of all Psalms is Psalm 23. But probably second only to Psalm 23, the most loved, the most quoted is Psalm 91. And the entire chapter is special, all 16 verses. If you'll pay attention throughout the 16 verses of Psalm 91, you see how the pronouns change. You see in the beginning, the psalmist says, I will say of the Lord. And it speaks of what God is to us. He is our shelter. We dwell in the shelter. He is the shadow. We're under the shadow of his wing. He is our refuge. He is our fortress. He is our God. We hope in him. But then the pronoun changes to the reader. And then it begins to say, you will benefit this. You will have this. You will experience this. You will be delivered from the snare of the fowler. The pestilence will not come upon you. No deadly plague will come nigh to your tent. But then the pronoun changes again. And God saves the best for the last. And in the last few uh, verses of the chapter, then the pronoun changes to God Almighty, God himself. 
And God begins to say things like, because you have loved me, I will do this for you. I will satisfy you with long life. I will give you fullness of joy. And it is riveting to read Psalm 91. I encourage you, if you don't know much of Psalm 91, just take some time this week and read it line for line and don't be in a hurry. Just savor it. Just savor it. Like going to an expensive restaurant and just savoring your meal. Savor the word of God and let it speak into you. Now, go back to verse 1 with me and let's understand a couple things before we transition into the New Testament into John 15. Now, the invitation from God is for us to dwell and to rest. Notice what he says. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Now, uh, someone has said it really well. If, if someone is hungry, you don't go into a bread store. You don't go into a restaurant and stand in the doorway, do you? What good does that do to go in and only stand in the doorway? It's not going to benefit you. You must enter in. Today we're leaving for a trip and we're going to have to stay the night in a hotel. We'll have to drive the rest of the day and then stay the night in a hotel. And by the time we get there late tonight, we'll be tired. What good would it do if I just stayed in the lobby? What good would it do if I came to the sliding doors and I just stood there and said, I'm good right here. I'm going to be exhausted. I must enter in in order to rest. And how many people, they know that they long for God. They know that they're missing something in their life. St. Augustine said it so well. He said, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. And some of you know that there is a void in your soul and it's shaped just like God. And you've tried everything to fill the void. And relationships don't fill it. And moving to another city seems to not fill it. And changing jobs doesn't fill it. And certainly gaining more income and earning more and gaining possessions, that certainly doesn't fulfill it. And today you're wondering what in the world is going to satisfy, what's going to fill me. And I'll tell you what it is, to dwell in the shelter of the Most High. And some of you are only at the doors and you're looking in. No, you must come in. And you must learn what it is to dwell in the shelter of the Most High. Now, some of you will remember earlier in the year we did a great series called The God Of. And we went through many names of God. What I appreciate about Psalm 91 is that there are multiple names of God in this chapter. The first one we come to is this great title for God, Most High. This title in the original language of the Bible in Hebrew is El Elyon. We didn't have a chance to cover that in the, in the God of, maybe we'll go back and do a bonus sermon for that one day or something like that. But El Elyon, what a name for God. It literally means the Most High. Here's what it means. It means that above all the power of the evil one, above all the power of the kingdom of darkness, above all the power of evil men, above all the circumstances of your life, God is above it all. He is Most High. And nothing compares to the greatness. Nothing compares to the majesty. Nothing compares to the sovereignty of God in your life or my life. 
And you and I can find shelter in that. And when people mistreat us, when people persecute us, when people lie on us, when it feels as though Satan is all over us, when it feels as though we are so low and powerless, and when we feel weak and we feel helpless, when we feel thirsty in life and longing in life, you and I can enter into the into the dwelling, into the shelter of God. And as we enter that, it's not just some ordinary God. It's not someone who, maybe he can help us, maybe he can't. Maybe he can offer encouragement. I don't know, what kind of mood is God in today? Does he have the ability to intervene in my life? Does he have the ability to turn things around? Does he have the ability to save? Does he have the ability to empower No, my friend, God is El Elyon. He is most high. And when you and I enter that dwelling and we enter that shelter, we enter that refuge, we enter that fortress, oh, there is a rest for our soul that you cannot find anywhere else except in the most high El Elyon. Amen. Now, he says, under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, we did cover that title. Do you remember what Almighty, the God of all things, God Almighty, that Hebrew name is El Shaddai. And God is Almighty, amen. He is Almighty in our life. And if anyone can help us, it is God Himself. So today, I don't know what you're taking shelter in. Maybe you're taking shelter in the security of your job, maybe you're taking shelter in your health or in a relationship or in this or that. Maybe your shelter is in how much income you earn or what you possess. My friends, you need to take shelter today. God Most High, God Almighty. That's the only place where you'll find rest for your soul. Now the invitation here is very clear. As we enter that dwelling, as we dwell in the shelter of El Elyon, the Most High, here's what he says. Abide. Abide in the shadow of the Almighty, El Shaddai. Abide. Now, what's it mean to abide? The word abide means to stay. It means to continue in something. You're going to stay there. You're not going to move from this place to that. No, you're going to abide. You're going to stay in the presence of God. Andrew Murray, that great author, missionary, pastor of the 1800s to South Africa. Andrew Murray said, and and, and I think it's fascinating, he said, so many Christians accept Christ's invitation. Matthew chapter 11, we were there last week. Matthew 11, 29, come to me, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, Christ says, for I am gentle, lowly in heart, You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Many Christians have come to Christ and accepted such an invitation. And they felt the weight of sin lift off of them. They have found a rest for their souls. But Andrew Murray said, so many Christians fail to accept Christ's second invitation. So many come to Christ and receive forgiveness, but then they go on. They go on with their life. They move away from Christ. They get busy. They go on with their career. They go on with their family. They go on with other things. And they they move away from abiding in Jesus. There is not just the invitation 
to rest and to come and find rest for our souls. There is the invitation to abide under the shadow, under the protection of God Almighty. And what God says in Psalm 91 is surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. That means any hidden attack Satan has, any hidden plot he has, God will deliver you from. That means that that as Satan tries to plot things against you, God already has the answer. He already has the deliverance. The pestilence, the, the, the warfare, the deadly plagues, the things that will try to come into our life that are designed by Satan. There's going to be protection in that as we abide in God. So Psalm 91 is the great invitation, but go to John chapter 15. This is where I want to do some careful application teaching right now. John 15 is just precious. And when you understand that While Psalms invites us to abide, Jesus teaches us how that abiding takes place. John chapter 15, begin in verse 1 with me. And let's listen. (laughs) We're going to slow down right now, right? And we're going to savor the word of God. John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit is taken away. And every branch that does bear fruit, the father prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, it is he who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Amen. Now let's understand this today. Jesus first says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Let's understand this verse. A branch cannot do anything of its own. You will never see a branch lying in a field producing fruit. You'll never see a branch in the middle of the road producing any kind of fruit. The only way that a branch is going to produce the fruit that it is purposed to do is if it stays connected to the vine. Why is that? Because it's through the vine that it receives all of its strength, all of its nourishment, all of its nutrients, all of its sap, all of its life. And if a branch gets disconnected from the vine, that branch will no longer bear any fruit. It will no longer do what it was intended to do. My purpose in today's sermon is to teach you, to show you that life for us is not about what we do. Life is about the fruit that we bear. 
If you're going to take notes, I want you to note this today because we're going to see as we're dependent upon the true vine and the vine dresser and the sap of the Holy Spirit, I want to show you this today that many of us, and I'm really preaching to me today, we value our life. We measure our life by the things that we do and that we accomplish. But that's not God's purpose for us. We'll never understand abiding if we measure our life by what we accomplish. If you're taking notes today, the first few things I want you to note is number one, abiding is not accomplishing. Abiding is not accomplishing. See, some of you are the personality type like I am. I love to accomplish things. I have great joy when I check something off a list. I enjoy checking things off of lists that sometimes I'll create a to-do list of other to-do lists just so I can double check because I enjoy checking. Anyone else like that? I love to see. Uh, Yesterday, I I just went through a tremendous book, and I I do audio books now that I can't see, but I devour audio books. I listen to five or six at a time. And yesterday I finished a riveting book that I absolutely loved. It was a business book and I loved it. I gained so much out of it. But there were 14 minutes left in the book. And I was running out of time. But what do you think I did? Did I finish that 14 minutes? Oh, you bet you. For a slight moment I thought about not, but it would drive me crazy. I'd have to get up in the middle of the night and listen to the last 14 minutes. Why? Because it's not finished. It's not accomplished. It's not checked off. And even in minute and insignificant areas of life, I love to feel accomplished. I love to feel as though I got something done. And if I'm not careful, hear me now, this creeps into my spiritual life. This creeps into my ministry. It creeps into the calling of God upon my life. That what I end up bringing to God is a list of accomplishments. And just like Cain bringing the wrong offering to God, Cain brought his best, but it's not what God required. It's not how God measured. And so Cain's offering was rejected by God. And many of us bring what we think is acceptable. We bring what we think God values. We bring what we think is going to honor God, but it doesn't. Because God is very clear. What honors God is the fruit that is produced out of our life, not our accomplishments. And many of us have a factory mindset. The factory mindset of we're on this great assembly line and, 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 and as long as we're producing, God's happy. And as long as we're moving, as long as we're going, we're pleasing God, we're glorifying God. And it's not the factory mindset that glorifies God. It's the farming mindset. I'll sow and I'll wait and I'll let God yield the fruit. You see the difference? And many of us live factory-like spiritual jobs and God's saying, no, live a farmer's life, spiritual life, where you sow and then you reap. Does that make sense to you? I want you to write this down. Abiding is not accomplishing, but, but, but write this down too, because this is important. A hurried life produces accomplishments, task, to-do list, efficiency, 
productivity. A hurried life produces productivity. But listen, an unhurried life produces fruit. Do you see the difference? And you can't hurry fruit. It takes time. It takes God's work. So Jesus says, I am the true vine. And apart from me, you can do nothing. He says, God is the vine dresser. Now what's he mean by this? God has planted us. See, you may think that you're in such a difficult season of life right now. Listen, it may be that God's pruning you right now. See, now come on. I feel the Holy Spirit right now. And let's really get this in our soul. Let's get it in our soul. I am planted of the Lord. I'm not in my circumstance by accident. I'm not facing the season of life I'm in by accident. I'm not going through a hardship by accident today. I am the planting of God Almighty himself. God has planted me right in the circumstance that I am. Why? That he would prune me to yield more fruit. And some of you, God... God is putting you through a trial. He's putting you through a difficulty, through a, through a season right now. And Satan would tell you, God is not concerned. God doesn't care. God is uninterested. God is not listening to you anymore. No, my friend, the father, the vine dresser, he is pruning you that you would yield more fruit. Now let's answer something. What is fruit for? There are two reasons. Why do we produce fruit in our life? Some of you, perhaps you have fruit trees on your property. Some of you, maybe you, you have an apple tree or something like that, some type of fruit tree, tree. What's the purpose of that fruit? It's to be given. It's to be enjoyed. It's to be given to your, your family or to others or to neighbors. Now, now say amen if you're with me now because I don't want to miss you in this. Why do we produce fruit in our life? You know why? One of the, there are two reasons, but one reason is so that we can give it away to others. If God is taking you through a pruning season and he's trying to produce patience in you, why is he doing it? So that you can extend your patience to others. If you're in a pruning season right now and God is trying to produce self-control or he's trying to produce love or he's trying to produce joy or he's trying to produce peace or he's trying to produce meekness, why? It's so that you can give the fruit to other people. So that what you are going through, you may share with others. Have you ever thought of that? And some of you, perhaps you're grumbling, you're groaning, you're complaining, why would God do this? Why would God make me face this? Why hasn't God changed things? Why, uh, I don't deserve that. No, my friend, you have the wrong perspective. Could it be that because you are a branch in the true vine, that the vine dresser is pruning your life right now only to produce more fruit? Because if you and I will understand what Jesus said in Matthew or in John chapter 15, it is through the producing of fruit. That is what glorifies God. Did you hear that? 
It's your fruit in your life, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22, 23. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit being produced in your life. That is what glorifies God. And I am learning day by day. See, before I lost eyesight, I really saw who I am through what I do. I look back now, and God's teaching me so many lessons. I look back, and, you know, like all of us, we have 24 hours in a day, right? Everyone. Everyone. No matter how important they are, no matter how insignificant they are, it doesn't matter. The greatest to the least, we all have the exact same amount of time. And I used to take my blocks of 24 hours. I took my squares that was on my calendar, that's in my phone, I would take those little windows that represent 24 hours and I would feel accomplished. I would feel gratification. I would feel uh, happiness. The more stacks that went into those little windows. If I could fill those little windows up, I felt as though I was valuable. Am I preaching to anyone today other than myself? If I could fill those blocks with things that I thought mattered, things that I thought God valued because I valued them, because society tells me they're valuable. Society tells me that the more I get done, the more important I am. The more I accomplish, the taller I stand. That's what society would say. See, that's not how God measures. And I felt important and I felt valued the more I could do. But no, that's not what John 15 teaches me. John 15 teaches there's only one way to bring something valuable to God. That's to abide in Christ and Christ in me. And he it is that bears much fruit. And see, as I've lost eyesight, I'm beginning to learn what I do for God is not near as important as who I am with God. Leonard Ravenhill said, and I believe it to my core, a man or woman is who they are in prayer and nothing more. It is the abiding in Christ that we produce the fruits of the Holy Spirit in our life. And as God begins to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that's what we are to give to others. And so someone treats me wrong. Well, I'm to give them kindness. Someone tries my patience. I am to give them the fruit of patience. Someone sneer at me or lie at me or try to steal my happiness. I'm to give them the fruit of joy. I am to give away the fruits that the Holy Spirit produces out of my life. Do you have that mentality? Are you looking around at the people that God has put in your life and are you giving them any of this precious fruit that God's producing in you? Or are you a factory mindset? 
I just got to get it done, 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 get it done. Produce, produce, produce. No, that's not the life God has called us to live. We are to abide. A hurried life produces tasks and responsibilities and all of those things. And it's not that all those things are wrong. I'm not saying, again, hear me. Just as rest doesn't mean sleep, abiding doesn't mean you forsake your responsibilities. I'm not saying that if you have a job that's very demanding, you go into your boss tomorrow and say, listen, Pastor Chad said I'm to abide. I'm going to shut my door today. Don't bother me because I'm abiding. That's not going to fly. As a matter of fact, Friday, we spent a chunk of time with our church staff Friday, and I'm taking them through a model of efficiency. It's called ACDC, not the band. I care nothing for that. But the model, ACDC. And we're looking at the daily task that we as pastors have. We're looking at the projects that's on our plate. We're looking at the things that God has truly called us to be because, you know, some of you may not know how church works. You may think that we just, you know, sit, around, sit in the auditorium all day and going, phew, boy, can't wait till church next week. No, there's a thousand and one things that need to be done. There's actually more that needs to be done than what our staff can handle. And so what we're doing is we're sitting in here praying and and working and saying, A, are we working on the right things? Are we doing it in the right portion? Are we doing the right things that's going to end up in the right results? I'm not saying that, that to abide is to sit there and just hum. No. There are responsibilities that you must get done. There are tasks that must be done. But remember what we said last week. Really good work is rooted in really good rest. And part of this is abiding in Christ. And so what I'm not going to do is pretend as though I am so important that I don't need to pray. Or that I am so busy that I don't need to pray. Or that I'm so covered up and I have so much on my plate that, God, I don't have time to spend with you. That's out of sync. That's out of bounds. But no, what I am going to do is take the words of Christ to heart and I'm going to say, no, no, here's here's my mentality, God. I have so much on my plate, so many responsibilities. I need to abide in you, God, because apart from you, I can do nothing. I'm going to abide in you and you help me get done the things that are supposed to get done. And everything else is what it is. But show me what I am to do. Does that make sense? A hurried life produces productivity. And that's not bad. I'm not saying it's bad. But an unhurried life produces fruit. Don't trade fruit for simply productivity. That's what I'm saying today. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit will be taken away. Every branch that does bear fruit, the Father will prune that it may bear more fruit. What's God doing in your life right now that perhaps it's painful? But listen, you need to remember this. The things in life that are painful are often profitable. What's God doing in you right now that although it is painful, 
it is profitable and it's good and it's necessary and it's going to produce more. Now, we said, number one, fruit is produced in our life to be given away to others. But number two, why is fruit produced? Well, John Owen, who is a tremendous, who was a tremendous Puritan pastor in the 1500s, John Owen asked this question. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, Jesus says to his church, not to sinners, but to his church, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open to me, I will come in and I will dine with him or abide with him or sup with him or fellowship with him. I will eat with him is what it means. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open, I will come in and I will eat. I will fellowship. I will dine. I will sup. John Owen asked the amazing question. If Christ is to come into the door of my heart, into my life, and if Christ is to eat, if he is to dine, if he, what is he going to partake of? What is it that Christ dines on? What does he eat of? What does he partake of? I believe it's Galatians chapter 5. The precious fruits of the Holy Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit. Listen, a vine, when it has its branch, the vine is producing the sap. The vine is giving the nutrients. It's giving the nourishment. It's giving the life. So it is in our life as the vine dresser has planted us in Christ. You and I were ordained for Christ before the foundation of the world. Christ was ordained for us. And as we are planted in Jesus Christ, it is the precious Holy Spirit that is producing the sap. He's giving the nourishment. He's giving the life. He's giving the power. He's giving the enablement. He's giving everything that we need for life and godliness. And what it does is it produces in us the fruits of the Spirit. And as Christ says, behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And anyone who opens the door, I will enter and dine with him. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit that Christ partakes of. So when Christ wants to fellowship with you this morning, what is it that you have to offer? Is it your to-do list? How sadly that was my life. Here you go, God. This is what I did for you this week. This is everything I've gotten done this week. Is it your accomplishments that you're going to hand to Christ and say, here, Christ, partake of this? Because it's like Cain giving the wrong offering. But no, if you're able to say, oh, I've been pruned in this area, but I have produced more joy through the Holy Spirit, Christ will partake of that. I've been able, through the precious Holy Spirit, to produce more love. Oh, Christ will partake of that. Oh God, I've been able through this trial, through this fierceness, I've been able through your Holy Spirit to produce more self-control. Christ will partake. And then you'll know what fellowship, you'll know what communion, you'll know what abiding in Jesus is really like. Does that make sense to you? Now I close today with asking this question. 
and will answer it. Go ahead, turn to Isaiah chapter 27, verse 2 and 3. We'll ask this question. If abiding means that I am in Jesus and the Holy Spirit is in me and he's producing in my life, What happens when I go back to real life? What happens when I'm on my job or I'm back in, you know, my daily routine or my environment? Is it possible that I can abide in Jesus every moment of the day? Is it possible that I could abide in every day and every moment? Yeah, the answer is yes. (laughs) I get that at church. I mean, you know, we come in here and I'm focused on God, but then I get out there and you don't know what I work with. You don't know where I live. You don't, you don't know the, the language I hear. You don't know the problems I face. You don't, you don't know what my life is like. You're telling me I can abide in Christ in the midst of all that? Yes, yes. Watch it. Isaiah chapter 27, verse 2 and 3. The Bible teaches that God is the vine. Now, we're flipping from old covenant to new covenant back to old covenant. So let's understand something. In this text, Israel symbolizes the vineyard. God symbolizes the vine. In John 15, in this new covenant, the believer symbolizes the branch. What did Jesus say? If you abide in me and I in you, he, uh, he says, uh, verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. So these truths apply to us as they did Israel in the Old Covenant. Now notice what it teaches. Verses 2 and 3, Isaiah 27. God has planted the vineyard. God is the vine dresser. He has planted this. And, And while it's speaking of Israel here as the vineyard, notice this is the truth I want us to see in this. It says that God protects the vineyard. No harm is going to come to the vineyard. God defends the vineyard. But watch this. God waters the vineyard every moment. Oh, let's don't miss this. Oh, God, give us ears to hear right now. Give us ears to hear, hearts to understand. God waters the vineyard every moment. Moment. Do you know what this tells me? This tells me that in times of uh, distress, I can remember, no, God is watering me right now. In times of, of testing, no, 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 God is watering me right now. In times of trial or times of fierceness or times of what may feel like drought, at times of hardship, no, I can claim this verse and say, no, right now, God is watering me right now. Do you understand what I'm saying? So Satan will tell you God's not concerned. He'll tell you God's at a distance. He'll tell you God's not listening to your prayer. No, you take him back to Isaiah 27 and say right now at this very moment, I'm not going based on what I feel. I'm going based on what I know. And I'm being watered. I'm being nourished. I'm being strengthened. I'm being satisfied. I have everything I have because every moment I am watered by God himself. 
My friends, that is dwelling in the shelter of El Elyon. That is being under the shadow of El Shaddai. That is being connected to the true vine, Jesus Christ himself. That is the sap of the Holy Spirit working and yielding the precious fruits of the Holy Spirit in our life. And that can be ours today. So how are you living How are you, what's watering your life? Is your accomplishments watering you? Because I'm telling you, that will fail. Is your job watering you? Is your health? Some of you take pride in your health. It's not a bad thing, but it's not everything. It's not everything. What is watering you? For some, it's a relationship. And if that person walked out of your life, you couldn't function. Whereas the Bible teaches we are to live, move, and have our being in Jesus, not even in other people. What's watering you? What's sustaining you? What's nurturing you? Is it God alone? If it's not, do you know what you're probably doing? You're not dwelling in the shelter of the most high. You're at the threshold. You're just standing in the door. You're not entering in. Some of you have accepted Christ's first invitation. You've come to him. You found rest for your soul. But somewhere you've wandered off. You've gotten way off track. You're way over here. And you're not abiding. You're not staying. You're not continuing in the presence of God. You're out doing everything else. Why? Because your worth is all wrapped up in what you do and how other people see you and what you have in this life. My friend, that's no way to live. It's not the way that God wants you to live. But no, when you slow down and you say, there are things that have to be done, but God's going to help me do those. But see, that's not where my value lies. My value is in the vine. So Jesus, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay connected to the vine. Oh, I need you today, God. Come on, let's pray right now. Oh, God, I want to to confess to you, Lord, my need for accomplishment, my need for approval, my need to feel important. I want to confess that, Lord. And repent and turn from it. My greatest need is to stay in the vine. That's my greatest need. Come on, if you're like me today, come on, let's pray. Let's pray right now. You want to come to the altar? You come right on. Come on, let's let's confess today. God, my need is to abide. My need is not to accomplish. My need is to abide. Don't let me trade. Don't let me trade the significant things for the insignificant. Don't let me trade precious fruit for to-do list. Don't let me trade precious abiding for simply doing and accomplishing. It's not worth the trade. Help me, Lord. Help me to slow down. Help me to realize that the work you do is often not fast. It's not fast. It's slow. Because what am I to do, James chapter 5? I'm to be like the farmer precious, precious patience. God, I can't, I can't do patience on my own. It's a fruit that must be produced. 
It must be of the Holy Spirit. I can't have joy on my own. I'll I'll trade joy for happiness. No, I, I need joy produced by the Holy Spirit. Today, everybody, head bowed, eyes closed. Today, I feel like God is speaking to someone about pruning. Oh, let me tell you, I know pruning. I was pruned in 2016 and in the beginning of 2017. God himself told me, Chad, I'm getting ready to prune you. I'm getting ready to prune your church. I'm going to chop it down is what God said. Oh, I know what pruning is. I know, I know. And today what may feel like loss to you is simply pruning. It's simply pruning. Let God do his work. What may feel like pain, I'm telling you, is going to be profitable. It's going to be. Listen, God told me, Chad, I'm going to chop your church to the root. And I'm telling you, it was crazy. We had, we had all kinds of crazy things go on. But listen, God said, Chad, you just hold on because the fruit is going to come. And you're going to grow back and you're going to be healthier than you've ever been. And can you not testify to that this spring? What we've seen God do? Let God prune you. Let him prune you. We need you, God. We need you. Apart from you, Jesus, we can do nothing. Forgive us for all of the times that we didn't believe that and we acted contrary to your word. Help me to do my work, my family responsibilities, my home life. Help me to do my work life and my career responsibility. Help me to do them all in Jesus and not apart from you. Help me, Jesus. Help me to do life in you and not on my own. Let me wait upon the Holy Spirit and let me bear fruit that not my accomplishments would glorify God, but that the fruit you produce in me would glorify the Father. Thank you, God, for planting me in Jesus. Thank you for planting me right where I am, even in my difficulties. For what you're pruning will yield much and precious fruit to your glory. Thank you for it all. Help me to slow down. Help me to be unhurried. Help me to wait for that precious fruit to yield in your time. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.